0: Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. We all live busy lives and busy weeks and so refreshing and such a grace of God to know that we can come into his house and worship him to launch our week for this first day of the week and uh, just pray that you'll be refreshed and um, encouraged uh, as we worship today but also spend time in the word of God. You can take your Bibles out this morning. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Taking a break. Obviously from the book of Mark. And uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're going to look at the first two verses. The title of the sermon this morning is really just a question. Are you running the race? Are you running the race? Guests, if you're here today, we're so glad that you're here. It's always a joy for us to have guests in our midst. And we hope that you'll uh, feel blessed this morning to be in the house of the Lord with us and worshiping with the saints. If you don't have a Bible, I think there's Bibles there in the pews you can take out and uh, turn with us to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning as we study the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, let's read it together this morning, these first two verses, maybe the first three for a little more context, and then pray for our time in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we commit this time to you in the word of God that you would use it to sanctify us and to strengthen our hearts and our lives as we run this race of the Christian life to your honor and to your glory. Father, I pray that you would bring clarity, pray that you would illuminate our hearts, pray that you would convict of sin, pray that you would uh, strengthen through encouragement, all of these things where needed, Father, in the life of your people. Lord, knowing each of us are on different paths of sanctification and our walk with Christ, so I pray this message would... Uh, meet each of us where we need to be met, challenge, restore, heal, convict. We pray that you would do your mighty work through the word of God this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in 1924, Eric Liddell burst onto the scene as an Olympic champion. While born of Scottish descent, Eric's actual birthplace was in China. His parents were missionaries in northern China, having been sent out by the London Missionary Society. At age six, Eric and his brother Robert would be enrolled in Eldham College, a boarding school for missionary kids in Mottingham, England. And During his time at boarding school, Eric's athletic ability and Christian walk were being shaped and developed, and you may have read the book about Eric's life, you may have watched the movie about this man known as Eric Liddell. While he was at college, his humility, his integrity... Or at school, rather, his humility, his integrity, and leadership, along with his athletic talents, earned him the captain of the cricket and the rugby teams at the age of 15. Later in 1921, Eric and his brother Robert would be enrolled in college and they would study at the University of Edinburgh in England. Sports would continue to play a large role in Eric's life, primarily because of what we know to be his speed. At Edinburgh, Eric not only played rugby, he also began competing on the track. And in 1922, his speed in the 100 and the 220 races were unmatched at Edinburgh. In that same year, he beat Britain's champ, Harry Edward. In 1923, at a triple A invitational, Eric won both the 100 and the 220, setting a record in Britain for the 100 at 9.75 seconds, which stood for some 34 years. Eric was now headed for the 1924 Olympics, a Scot who would run for England known as the Flying Scotsman. But you see, there was a little bit of a problem because Eric was running another race known as the Christian race. He was a man who followed Christ with strong convictions. And so when the schedule for the 1924 Olympics appeared... Eric's events, which are the 100 and the 220, were to be held on Sunday. That was a problem for Eric. Eric maintained strong convictions about the Sabbath. Eric didn't think he earned some kind of righteousness with God by keeping the Sabbath holy. Rather, he saw it as an act of worship and the worship of God by maintaining rest on the Sabbath day. He believed in no work. He believed in no organized activities on the Sabbath, and he held strictly to that as an act of worship before his God. So what did he do? Well, he pulled out of those races in 1924. He would run the 400 instead, a half-mile race, not knowing how he would perform. In 1924 in Paris, Eric lined up for his race. The entire nation of England sat on pins and needles, sat by their radios to listen to the call of their Flying Scotsman's race. And it was a glorious race. It was a thrilling race. Eric winning while setting, while setting a new Olympic and world record. He would bring home a gold medal for his country, the Flying Scotsman. Years later, someone asked Eric, what was his secret to success that day? He famously said, and you may know the quote, what is the secret of my success in the 400? Well, I run the first half of the race as fast as I can, and with God's help, I run the second half even harder. Eric Liddell's integrity and performance on the track was a testimony of how he pursued his Christian life and his Christian race before God. And really, it is a model and example for us of how we should run this race we are in called the Christian life. Looking at our text this morning, the writer of Hebrews calls us to run the race of the Christian life that is set before us. Look at verse 1 again. There at the end he says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This obviously is a metaphor. And this idea of a race is being used as the metaphor of living the Christian life, of walking the Christian life, of living this life of worship to God. Paul used the very same metaphor, 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24, he said, we should run in such a way, he says, run in such a way that you may win, using it there as a metaphor for the Christian life as well. So my challenge to you this morning is this, beloved, are you running this race? Are you running the Christian race? Are you running it in such a way as to win? Are you exerting effort and drawing on endurance in this race? as you live out your Christian life and walk. But see, are we coasting? Are we lukewarm? Are we just floating along in the stream of life as a believer in Jesus and we're not really running, we're not really exerting, we're not really trying to live this life to the glory of Christ as we should? My goal this morning is really to challenge you with that question. Are you running the race of the Christian life? But I want to give you some action steps to to measure whether you're running or not and to help you actually run harder than maybe you are running now. We're going to see four action steps to engage in the race. And let these steps be a mirror that we look into and gaze into to see if we're really running this race called the Christian life. Four action steps to engage in the race. That's our outline this morning. Four action steps to engage in the race letting those steps be a guide and a mirror to determine whether or not we're actually running the Christian race. Now, before we get into those steps, let's give ourselves a little bit of context here. We're picking this up in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. A lot has been said. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but let's look at the context a little bit. We know Hebrews is a powerful letter in the New Testament. It is a it's it is written primarily to Jewish Christians, although we know there's Gentiles in the mix as well and we know there's unbelievers who this writer was uh, writing to as well. In the first 11 chapters the writer exalts Christ as superior over all. That is the ultimate point of the first 11 chapters. He is the only begotten son of God. He is higher than the angels. He is the one who has provided a more excellent way of salvation. He, is perf- he has completed it perfectly. He is the one that we are to trust in for our salvation and to worship in our lives. We are not to be adding something else to Christ. I love the the writer of Colossians has the same argument in his letter. The the temptation there was to have Christ plus something else, right? Christ plus the law. Christ plus asceticism. Christ plus worship of angels. And all the false teachers want to bring in a message into the church and saying Christ is not enough. You have to add this to your Christian walk. You have to add this to your Christian walk. The writer of Hebrews is doing the very same thing in his letter. He's saying, no, the exalted Christ is sufficient. And they were to rest and trust in him and run their Christian lives by faith in Christ alone. That really is the context of the first 11 chapters. And since their faith was grounded in Christ, he was their means and promise to eternal life. The writer does a couple of things in these first 11 chapters as well. He warns and exhorts. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, he says, there, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving elementary things behind, press on to maturity in Christ. And so they were to be growing in respect to their salvation. But there was a temptation for those in this audience that received this letter to slide back. To slide back to law keeping, to, to walk, and, and possibly to walk away from the faith altogether. We saw this temptation in, the, in our study in Sunday school of the chapter, first letter to the Thessalonians. Paul was very concerned about the, that church. Why? Because he was afraid they were being tempted by the tempter to, to fall away from the faith. Now, what was causing that temptation? Well, it was the persecution and suffering that they had endured and were continuing to endure. Turn back one page with me to chapter 10. I want you to see this chapter 10. In chapter 10, let's pick it up in verse 32. He says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, that means hearing the gospel and believing, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. And so the writer here says after you were saved after you believed Christ you received a great conflict of sufferings persecution difficulties partly being by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated for you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So what's his point here? His point is they had come to Christ, they had experienced persecution and trials and difficulties, and some of that was still ongoing, and the temptation was to look back and to, to fall back, maybe fall away from the faith altogether, maybe just say, "You know what? Maybe we'll just add something, a little bit to Christ, and we won't suffer so much." And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no. We add nothing to Christ. He alone is sufficient. And so they had a need, but what was the need? What was the need for them to keep striving, to keep running forward? Look at verse 36. For you have need of what? Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. They needed endurance to finish the race. They needed endurance to keep on going. They needed endurance to finish the race and Receive the promises and blessings of the gospel unto eternal life with our Lord Jesus Christ. And after this call, after this call to endurance, we know in chapter 11, here the writer call, uh, calls on example after example after example, in, in the, primarily in the Old Testament, it's known as the hall of faith of men and women who had gone before them and who had ran with endurance the race that God had set before them and they had finished victoriously. And then we come to chapter 12 and what does he call us to do? What does he call the audience to do? What is he calling us to do? He calls us to action. It's a call to run this race of the Christian life and not look back, and not look back. But the challenge we have to ask ourselves is, are we running? Are we in the race? Are we exerting power, strength, endurance? Are we looking back? Are we adding something to Christ, to Fulfill our spiritual experience. Maybe we're just in neutral. This morning I want to challenge us. Let's look at the first action step. Again, this is the mirror, but it's also the guide to engage in the Christian race. The first action step is we just need to engage in the race. Engage in the race. If you claim the name of Christ, claim faith in him, then you must enter the race. You must leave the gate and you must start running. You must start running. Look at verse 12 at the end again. Last section. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love this word race here. It's from the Greek word agon. It's where we get the word agony. It means to put forth exertion, effort, striving, discipline, wearisomeness. That's what the, the word means. It's used here as a metaphor for running. I don't know about you, but running, it's agony for me. And that metaphor works perfectly for me. I used to play basketball, and I always said I loved basketball, but I hated the running. Right? If we could play basketball without running, it would be a happy day. But the word is describing agony. It's being used as a metaphor for running. To describe the journey of the, the Christian life and of living the Christian faith. And the race here is the Christian life, and we must start. We must engage in it. It begins with repentance and faith. It begins with believing in the gospel and trusting in Christ alone and receiving his redeeming work on your behalf. Ultimately, we are then launched into the race, and that race really is, as we're going to talk about, a life of worship to God. But it starts with repentance and belief. It's like the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul says there, they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's what repentance looks like. That's what believing in the gospel looks like. And so the question this morning is, have you begun the race? If you're here this morning, are you in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in him by faith and you're running the race? If not, we call you to believe. We want you to believe. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to believe. To throw away how you're trying to earn your way to heaven and to receive Christ through repentance and faith. If you're here this morning and you have not done that, we, we would love to talk to you about that. We would love to help you receive Christ, to trust in Him by faith. Because that's where the race begins. Repenting of sin and trusting in Christ. And for those of us who have done that, for believers, we are now in this race. And this race, as I said, really is a life of worship of God. It's, it's a, that's how I would describe it. And I think that's how Scripture describes it. It's really the totality of one's life It makes up the race. And it's the totality of our lives, our exercise is an act of worship to God. I think I heard Charles Spurgeon describe it this way once. Every tributary of your heart and every tributary of your life should all merge together as tributaries merge towards the Mississippi River, into the ocean. They should all be merging together so that you can exercise the worship of God. That's what the the, this race of the Christian life is. So no matter what decision you have, no matter your work, no matter your place in life, no matter what God has you doing, it's, it's all an act of worship and it's all a part of this, the race that we're running. Now let me break it down a little further. This life of worship, that's this race we're running, it really starts in the inner man. It starts in the heart. It starts in the soul. It starts with the inner spiritual character of a man. And then it flows out through our external actions and priorities. So it's the inner man and the outer man. It's a two-part life of worship we're living. And so first of all, the inner man is striving for holiness, striving to put off sin, to stop sinning, and to build a spiritual character in one's life. Look at verse four of chapter twelve. He says, Here, you have not, to make a different point, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. And so the, the reality is that they should be, should be striving against sin, of ridding sin in their lives. And that's part of what living the Christian life and running the Christian race is, is to continue our continued sanctification in the inner man and pursuing this life of holiness. But then that translates into the outer man doesn't it? What's on the inside then comes out through the outer man, and that's really all of the external activity of our life. And so we're seeking God then in all of the activity flowing from the inner man, this outer man. Our conduct, our speech, how we relate to one another, marriage, kids, family, one another in the body of Christ, those whom we work work with, those whom we shop at the grocery store with. All of this activity flowing out of the outer man, conduct, speech, relationships, our ethics, our work, our Christian service, all of these things make up this life of worship to God. So the inner man and the outer man working together, worshiping God, all of these make up the race of the Christian life and we are to run it To honor and glorify Christ. In fact, in chapter 12 and verse 13, the the remainder of this letter, it's just command after command. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. That's all of the outer flow of the conduct of our life that's meant to be a worship of God. Of course, all of scripture, not just the book of Hebrews, but all of scripture is our guide to live this life of worship and run this Christian race. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we engaged in this race? Are we engaged in holiness in the inner man and a life of worship through our conduct and external activities as well? Look at this word here, run, again. Run. It's a present active. We are to be running. We are to be striving. We are to be advancing, making progress in the race. I love Eric Liddell's quote here because it's so appropriate. Right, I ran the first part hard, and the second part even harder. But see, as Christians, we don't have to do it on our own strength, do we? And he said the same thing. He did it even harder being supplied by God. And so we're to be running. We're to be striving. This is an active pursuit. We are not to be shifting into neutral. How are we to run as well? Look back at verse 1 again. Let us run with endurance we are to run the race with endurance what does that mean steady determination steady determination to keep going even when it's you're tired even when it's hard even when it's difficult even when you just want to give up we must keep going in 1923 Eric Liddell was in a different race in the city of Stoke, and he was running the 440 there. And he was knocked over by a runner. He was knocked over by another runner, and he went completely down into the infield. I mean, completely down. He when he when he got up realized what had happened. He looked at where he was, and he was 20 yards behind every every runner at that point. 20 yards behind everyone. So, what do you think he did? Some of you probably know the story. He got up, he started running again, and he won the race. He won the race. That's the steady determination. That's endurance, right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us here to run this Christian race with steady determination, with determination, with endurance. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be difficulties, right? Living a Christian life, it's going to be hard. Even in this society we live in right now, which is fairly tolerable of Christianity, I say fairly, quote unquote But it is. Uh, we still face difficulties, don't we? And the writer knows that. But we need endurance. We need steady determination to keep running in the race. And so is that our attitude as we run the race of the Christian life? And I love this last phrase there in verse 1. We run this race with endurance. Look, that is set before us. That is set before us. You know, this is part of that text where I think I thought about this yesterday. We, as human beings, are tempted to look back. We are tempted to, Satan will tempt us to this as Christians, but we are tempted to this as part of our humanity, is to look back and be discouraged. Look back at our past, look back at our failures, looking back at what we should have done differently in the past, right? The Christian race, beloved, is a race that's set where? Before us. Before us set before us we're not focused on the past regrets failures temptations going back to our old ways that is not our call in this race i love what paul says in philippians three 13, you're familiar with it forgetting what lies where behind i press forward paul says i press forward and that's what the writer and the author of hebrews is calling us to Press forward to the race that is set before us. So I ask you again, are you engaged in the race? That's the first call to action, to be engaged in the race. The second action step is this. Surround yourself with motivation. Surround yourself with motivation. Beloved, you need motivation and inspiration to run this race. We all do. All athletes need inspiration to look to, to. As an example, a model, to inspire them, to encourage them, to motivate them so that they may run and win victoriously. You Look at verse 12 at the beginning. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now part of that is, is a, a reason or a cause. Since you look at chapter 11 and you see all these great examples, you too should run as well. And you should run like they did. But it also should serve as motivation and inspiration to us. The writer calls us to run while looking to the testimony of others who have gone before us. And how they do that, well, they point the way, they they model an example, they model endurance for us. Look at Hebrews 11, let's just look at one example for time's sake. Uh, Verse 23, Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here it begins right here's this Christian race race that Moses is going to launch on. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the repro- reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him, as seeing him, who is unseen. What a powerful example! Here is Moses choosing. What does it say? To endure, Ill, <coughs> excuse me, to endure ill treatment with the people of God. Than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater treasures than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him, Christ, who was unseen. He's looking towards Christ. He's looking towards Christ. Moses choosing to endure ill treatment rather than the pleasures of sin. What a model, what a testimony, what an inspiration for all of us to run the Christian race in the very same way. As we battle sin and the inner man, we look to Moses as our example. What better example do we follow and be inspired by as we run the race, striving to put off our sin? And we could go on in chapter 11. We won't, but I want to make this other application. I love this in chapter 12, verse 1. Again, we have so great a clip cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And so the idea is, is they, they come alongside, they're surrounding us. Moses can't physically surround us, but his example can. But there's all of these others from church history who can come around us and surround us and motivate and inspire us outside of all of the biblical examples. What better example do we follow than those who have gone before us and ran the Christian race. And so I asked, what, what books, what biographies, who's motivating you? Who's inspiring you to run this Christian life and this Christian race? I was so blessed whenever I left um, seminary and left the church I was serving at. And then to go pastor uh, in Virginia, they gave me a, a pretty, pretty sizable gift card to the bookstore that we had there. And I just bought all the biographies I could buy. Like I just spent the whole thing on biographies. That was the funnest thing ever. Um, But what a joy, what a treasure all of those biographies have been to me. Books about men, R.C. Chapman, Luther, Edwards, Spurgeon, Charles Mueller, all serve to inspire us in the race that they ran so that we can run our race motivated by them. I encourage you, who are you reading? Who are you surrounded by that's motivating you? In this race, even if you read a couple pages a day, it's okay. Just someone to come alongside us and motivate us. Beloved, you must surround yourself with motivation to stay on the path of this race known as the Christian life. Let me give you the third step. The third step. So you surround yourself. That was the second step. The third step is you need to lighten your load. You need to lighten your load. That's what the writer's going to call us to here. Beloved, we need to lighten our loads. Look at verse 12 again. Look right in the middle. Let us also, what? Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. The writer says here, a runner, a runner must do what to run well? He, he can't be hindered, right? He can't be encumbered. So the writer here's. St- st- right in the middle of the verse really even before he says to run he says what you need to lighten your load you need to take off these encumbrances that entangle you and weigh you down look at the verb here it says lay aside it's the idea of taking off clothing which works for a runner right a runner is not going to put on sweats and sweatshirt and army boots and all those things to run right those would be all be in what encumbrances You want the lightest shoes possible, the lightest weight clothing possible so that you can run and run well. Encumbrances here means things that are bulky and burdensome and weighty. They're an impediment, not allowing you to run well. Anything that's going to weigh you down. Anything that's going to impede your run. And I think for the book of, in the book of Hebrews, as it relates to our spiritual walk, this could be fear. This could be the Old Testament system. This could be returning to the Old Covenant. What could weigh you down more than pursuing faith in Christ and going back to the law? And so we have to lighten our loads and remove these encumbrances. So what is weighing down your ability to run? Let's think about that for a minute. Not necessarily the sin, because that's coming next. He, he separates the two. Look, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. So we're just talking about encumbrances right now. What is weighing down your ability to run? Is it fear of man? Proverbs 29, 25 calls it a snare and a trap. Is it family ties? The response of your family as you make decisions to follow God by faith? Matthew 10, verse 37. Is it the worries of life? Luke eight fourteen. Jesus says they choke out your faith. Is it wealth, possessions, Luke 9, 59? They weigh us down. We can't run the race and worship God. Is it greed, Luke twelve fifteen. Could be sin that stifles your race. Could be fear, it's general fear, unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, expectations, cynicism. Beloved, what weighs you down and what do you need to remove to lighten your load to run this Christian life and this Christian race? can ask God to, in prayer, to show you what those encumbrances are. Could be other things that just waste our time. Could be social media, TV, movies, media in general, whatever it is. Projects. You, you fill in the blank. We must lay it all aside so that we can run this race and this worship of God. But also, what does he say? We must lay aside what else? Sin. Right? We must lay aside sin. The word here simply just means missing the mark. Missing the mark of God for you in your life. That the scripture calls you to live by. Look what he says here. And the sin which so easily, what? Entangles us. Ensnares us. Controls us. Traps us. Holds us tightly. Tightly becomes an obstruction to your Christian life and your worship living your life to worship God in Christ we are to lay those things aside beloved lay aside the sin and you know what the sin does then weighs us down with what guilt that then also weighs us down And we must repent of those things and seek to sever ties with them and seek forgiveness for God and he'll forgive he's a merciful God He'll forgive, and not only that, he'll forget. It'll be wiped away. Your slate will be wiped clean. That's hard for us to to really grasp sometimes, isn't it, as human beings? But he does. And that's what his mercy provides. Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, we are to lay aside the old manner of life, lay it all aside, take it all off, and put on the new man which is found In Christ, so beloved, I challenge you this morning to lighten your load. What do you need to lay aside? What is encumbering you from running? And what sin is entangling you from running the race of worship, living a life of worship to God? You know, let's think about Eric Liddell. You know what his encumbrance was? You know what he decided himself. Was his encumbrance to run the race of the Christian life? To fulfill God's will for him? It was the fact that he was an Olympic runner. That was his encumbrance. And so what did he do about that? He stopped running. He did not pursue a career of being an Olympic runner, which he very well could have. Right? He very well could have. He laid it aside so that he could pursue Christ and he went to China to be a missionary that was his race, that's not our race, that may not be your race that's not my race but the one thing he decided was his encumbrance was probably the one, the worldly thing that he had that would make him successful and popular and accolades and all these things he saw it as an encumbrance and he laid it aside So we need to let him inspire us to lighten our load so that we can worship Christ in our race. Finally, the last action step is this. Fix your eyes on Christ. How do we do this? By our own merit, our own strength, our own supply and resources? No, we fix our eyes on Christ. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith who, for the joy set before him, endured this cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we run this race? How do we engage in it? We we engage in it. We surround ourselves with motivation. We lighten our load. And now we fix our eyes on the one who paved the way. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. He says here, the author and perfecter of faith. Fixing our eyes just means to keep focused on him. To keep our eyes on him. To keep him in view it's a present active verb it means all the time never stop fixing our eyes on christ hebrews 4 verse 15 says for we do not have a great high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin yet without sin so who do we find our hope in who do we Find our resources, our spiritual resources from our supply. The one who was gone before us, he can sympathize with every weakness, every encumbrance, every sin, every trial. He's been tempted in all ways, yet he was without sin. He understands your burden. You can take it to him and find resources in him. He ran the race. He ran the race we are called to run in his earthly life, experiencing all that we experienced. Yet he finished it perfectly, perfectly. He is the author of this race he started it he finished it perfectly he did it on our behalf he shows us the way but not only is he the author but he's also what the perfecter he completed it he began it and he completed it jesus brought his race to a successful conclusion therefore he is the ultimate example to look towards the ultimate example to look towards and he ran it victoriously Why did he do it? Look at verse 2 in the middle. Who for the joy set before him. He did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame. Why did Jesus run the race? For the joy of worship. His whole life was lived to the glory of the Father, to worship him. That was the race he run. That's the race we are called to run to. He fulfilled his will internally and externally to the end, completely and perfectly. And then he endured the cross despising the shame of the horrible death of the cross to pay the debt of our sin so that we may follow him and live the very life that he did as well. And what was the prize for Jesus? Well, it was the upward call of God. And he has the upward call of God in Christ. Look what he says in verse 2, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was the upward call of God. He is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. For you and I, if we fix our eyes on Christ, we will also finish victoriously. We will not be seated at the right hand of the Father, but we will finish also receiving the upward call of Christ. Listen to Paul's words in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14 again. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the presence of God and worshiping him. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we trying to live the Christian life without focusing our eyes on Christ? That's going to be a difficult race. Because he is the author. He's the perfecter. He ran it for us. He is the model and the example. He paid the price for our sin. He provided his righteous, atoning work to cleanse us from sin. He provided the righteous, atoning life to be imputed to our hearts by faith, and then now we go live it out to the glory of the Father. And So we have to ask ourselves in this last action step, are we fixing our eyes on Christ? Always, ongoingly, not letting our eyes off of him. This morning I've just tried to give you four action steps to ask the question, are we running the race of the Christian life? It's good to stop and ask this question. To evaluate where we are in the race. Eric Liddell finished his race victoriously. For eighteen years he ran his Christian race enduring the hardships of missionary service in China. As many of you know, the history of that story, there was Japan and China were were at war for for many, many years, and this was during the time Eric was in China. And at one point he was Uh, detained and placed in an internment camp in China. He was separated from his family for a long, long time, and he was never able to get out of that camp. He actually ended up dying of a brain tumor while he was in an internment camp in China. But he ran his race. He ran his race. It seems like a sad ending, doesn't it? Maybe. But you know what? He ran the race God put before him to the glory of Christ. And no matter how he died on earth, he finished well, Amen. and he got the upward call of Christ. Amen. And now he sits with him and worships, worships him forever. The manner of his death is not what lives on, beloved, but the manner of how he ran the race is the legacy. So let's ask ourselves this morning, are we running the race of the Christian life? Let's take a minute and bow our heads and hearts in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time this morning and your word. Lord, we thank you for these challenging passages where the the authors and the writers in your will give us a a deep and intense theology of Jesus, but then they stop and give us the full ramifications that apply to our hearts and our lives now. Lord, I pray that this sermon, this message, this text would be impactful to, to all of us this morning. Help us to evaluate our own race that we're running to live our lives to the glory of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.